0: Remember, you looking today in Acts chapter 18, if you turn in your Bibles there to Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> truth is, everybody's life is unique. Isn't that the truth? No one else experiences life like you do. It's important as Christians, if we love one another, to take the time to understand each other Have an idea how you've lived life and come to know the Lord Jesus, how you walk with the Lord Jesus, the things that are important to you. And look today at five different men from Corinth. Hopefully they'll give us some insight, some insight into what people around us may have been through or how they live or what they need. I'm going to do a little bit of guessing about these five men. And I don't think it's wild or unreasonable thoughts but what I believe to be likely things to have happened in their lives. But at the end of the day, the Bible does not come out and say some of the things that I will be saying about these five men. And the Bible should be the thing that is above and over and guiding us and above our own ideas. So keep that in mind too. Here in Titus 18, Paul had been uh, responded to the call from the Macedonian to come to preach the gospel to him. In a vision he had, he he crossed the uh, Aegean Sea from uh, what's now modern-day Turkey and went to the town of Philippi, and many people there believed and were saved. Paul was beaten and jailed. He moved on to uh, Berea, Thessalonica, had the same kind of issues, same kind of problems. People came to the Lord, believed, were saved, but also experienced persecution. From others, Then he went on to Athens and was able to preach in the capital city there of Greece and then finally moved on to Corinth. And that's where we pick up here in Acts chapter 18. In verse uh, 7, it says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Tit- Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. He had been preaching in the synagogue in Corinth, And many had believed, but there were many Jews who did not believe. So he was no longer welcome at the synagogue. And he goes next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. What do we know about this man? Titus Justice. He was a Gentile, first of all. He was not a Jew. He grew up without the Bible. He grew up with Greek philosophy, no doubt. In a Roman worldview, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which was an iron-handed, bloody peace enforced on the world at that time. He grew up in a world filled with idolatry, filled with the philosophy of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So live it up, have a good time. He grew up in a world of drunkenness, of sexual immorality, of greed, of selfish pursuits, of meaningless pleasures, or as the Bible simply puts that, pagan, pagan world. He was a worshiper of God. It says he lived next door to the synagogue. So, what happened to this Gentile Titus Justus in his life? What happened? Did he see Jews going to Sabbath every synagogue, to the synagogue every Sabbath to worship? Living next door, could he hear those singing, hear their prayers, hear the Scripture read? Did he know many of these Jews who came there? Did he know them personally? Knew how they lived. Did Titius Justice come to the place of finally seeing that there was absolutely no hope in a world of idolatry and drunkenness and sexual immorality and greed? And so somewhere in this process, Titius Justice started attending the synagogue next door to his house. And it all made sense to him. And he came to his senses and he believed in the God of the Bible and was a worshiper of God. He found truth in the Word of God. He was attending the synagogue, but before Paul came to the synagogue, he also saw the truth that he was different. I'm different from these people. The Jewish men would all sit on the floor in the front for synagogue worship, and their women and children... We'd stand in the back and then there were the Gentile worshipers of God by Titus Justice. He had to stand in the back, watch what was going on in the synagogue at Corinth. No matter how long he had been there, he was still an outsider. He wasn't related to any of these Jews. He was of a different race. He was not circumcised. <clears throat> he knew he was different and not fully Accepted in this synagogue. He may have been valued by the people in the synagogue, just like the Roman centurion whose servant was sick, and the Jews came to Jesus and said, There's this Roman centurion, and his servant is sick, and he wants you to heal him, and he's worthy of you to heal him because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue. Oh, yeah. He was valued by the Jews this Roman centurion was. And maybe Titus' justice was valued by the people in the synagogue too for his support and his worship of God. Like many churches today, all are welcome to attend. Anybody's welcome to put money in the offering plate. And most everybody's welcome to put their backs into it and serve and do some work around the place. But... Probably not everybody's welcome to be involved in the decision-making. This is our church. You just know your place there, if you would. And at the end of the day, Titus Chester knew he was not fully a part of the synagogue. And then he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached by Paul, and he believed. And he knew he was fully welcomed by God. And that his sins were forgiven. And that he had a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's ready and eager to open up his home. That might mean that he opened it up for Paul to stay with him. And more likely it means that he opened his home for the believers to worship in and to to be together. So right next to the synagogue where he lived, he opened up his home so that the believers in Jesus Christ might gather together. Though at times you may be an outsider, you may even feel like an outsider, but the truth is if God welcomes you, if God forgives your sins through Jesus Christ, you belong fully, completely to God. He calls you His child. He calls you His child. That's Titus, justice. And verse 8 goes on to say, Christus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. We know about Crispus elsewhere. Not only that he was a sinner God ruler, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, he was one of the few people that Paul actually himself baptized. Paul didn't baptize a whole lot of people in Corinth, as he writes to the Corinthians. I suppose Timothy and Silas did the actual baptizing for the most part, but Christus was one that Paul himself had baptized. He was a Jew, not a Gentile. He was a believer in the God of the Old Testament. Who is Christus? He is one who is probably like his father and like his grandfather and like his great-grandfather before him. Faithful men. Faithful men who lived their lives Worshipping the God of the Bible, who believed in him, who raised their families to follow God, to live righteous lives. And from a young age, he was taught that there's one God, one God only, who created the universe, who made everything. And the one God who made you and me in his image. And that this one God worked through Noah, sparing him while judging the world. Through this one God, he called Abraham as his chosen one. Through this one God, he spoke to Moses at the burning bush to lead the people out of slavery and into the promised land and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He grew up knowing and learning these things in his family. He raised his own family in the Old Testament Scriptures. He brought them every Sabbath to synagogue. He prayed at home with his family. He was a good example to his family. The inside matched the outside. He not only knew God, but his actions backed it up and proved it. And in Christmas, heard the gospel. He heard the gospel as Paul preached it. And he believed. And he was saved. He was forgiven of his sins. He had the Holy Spirit within him. But because of his influence throughout the years with his family, they were ready also. They heard the gospel. They believed. They were saved. They were forgiven of their sins. The Holy Spirit came within them. Men, as husbands, as fathers, your influence over your family is critical. It's critical. And it's needed, just as Crispus raised up his family to know God, to trust God, to believe in God, to follow God. Your influence is so important in making that happen with those in your home. Crispus believed, so did his whole household believe, and they were baptized. One of the few there baptized by Paul. Well, it goes on in verse 12, for our third man from Corinth. Verse 12, it says, When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the province where Corinth was the capital, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some. N- misdemeanor, or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle them out of yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Gallio, he was actually kind of high up in the Roman world. He was a brother of a guy named Seneca, and Seneca was the uh, Stoic philosopher who was the tutor, the teacher of Nero. His brother taught Nero when Nero was growing up. At this time, when Paul's brought before Galio, Nero is 14 years old, and Seneca is his instructor. He advised Nero throughout his life. And when Nero became emperor over the Romans, Seneca was his advisor for the first five years of it. In the first five years of Nero's rule, things were good. There was good government going on in the Roman Empire. And then uh, Nero got off the tracks. Nero went rogue. Seneca was accused of plotting a, an assassination attempt against him. <clears throat> so Seneca was forced to poison himself, commit suicide in A.D. 65. That's also about the same time when Peter and Paul uh, were put to death under Nero. So uh, those things happened later. From the records and the inscriptions we have, Galileo, the brother of Seneca, ruled in Corinth, around A.D. 51 and 52. We can look at this passage in Acts and say it happened about 51-52, somewhere in that time. Gallio was raised as a true Roman. What did that mean? It meant that power and government and wealth were of utmost importance above all other things. This man lived for good government. He knew no place for government to be making decisions about religious matters. That's not that's not my problem. Quit bothering me with this stuff. I'm into government, society, you know, public works, having law and order. But Galileo had a very narrow life. It was focused on government. Many people live life very narrow. Some people act as if there's nothing more important to do uh than uh than to be Worry about government. To listen to the news. Be wrapped up in politics, elections, the changes in laws. Other people get wrapped up in narrow lives around entertainment. Whether it comes to acting and films, or music, or sports. Man, how late did that game go last night? Past midnight. Uh, it's somewhere in there. It it, it went a long time get so wrapped up in these things that that's the focus of their lives. And some people get absorbed in economics and work and wealth and making money. And that's what it's all about. And here I am, and there's nothing else. Everything else is just peripheral. So Galileo was that kind of a man. Government was his. Narrow focus. Nothing else really mattered to him. If Christ is Lord of your life... Your life should be wrapped up around God and His kingdom. Love for others, making the gospel known. Christ should be the one who who guides you when it comes to issues of government and entertainment and economics and work. Galileo was the pro-council of the province. He was wrapped up merely in government and then he heard the gospel. No, he didn't. He didn't hear the gospel at all. Now, Paul's already. Paul's not going to jump in there and say, uh, these are false accusations and uh, don't worry about the legal. Paul doesn't care about the government and legalities of it. When Paul's getting ready to speak, he wants to tell Galileo about Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about life, Galileo. Paul's eager to start telling Gallio why he's standing before him, that there's one God who made all things, that uh, people have sinned against God, they need to repent, they need to believe, they need to be born again through Jesus Christ. Paul's ready to let it fly. Gallio cuts him off. Some people like Gallio simply are too busy to be bothered. Simply too busy to be bothered with the message of Jesus Christ. They consider the gospel not worth their time. They're so wrapped up in their thing, whether it's government or entertainment or whether it's uh, economics and wealth. They're so wrapped up in their thing. They don't have time. I don't have time to listen about who God is and what He desires. That's the third man, Galileo a Roman official, government official. In verse 17, it says, Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court, but Gallio showed no concern whatever. Who's Sosthenes? He's he's a Jew. Evidently, he's the new synagogue ruler after Christmas has put his faith in Jesus Christ and gone next door to Titius justice's house. Sosthenes did not believe that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. He did not believe the message of the cross and the resurrection. He led the accusations against Paul. And he's beaten. Who beats him? Doesn't really say. Did the Christians beat him? Not likely. Did his fellow Jews beat him for failing to bring charges against Paul? I don't think that's the case either. There are probably other Gentiles around the court who just hated Jews. They just hated Jews. They hated the Jews, saw them as troublemakers. They're not party-goers like us. They're counterculture. They're goody-two-shoes. They're wasting our time with these frivolous lawsuits with these trumped-up charges. And so I believe the pagan Gentiles and the crowd took him and beat him up. Galileo says, that's not, a matter of, that's not my concern either. I'm for good government. We'll worry about that later. Yes, yeah, but then what may have happened? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he writes, I'm writing to you, Corinthians, it's from Paul and Sosthenes. Paul and Sosthenes. Who knows what may have happened? Was Sosthenes helped in his beat-up condition, cared for by the Christians? Did the Christians show kindness to him in his misery? And then Sosthenes heard the gospel again. Then Sosthenes heard the gospel afresh, a new time, and Sosthenes believes. Not at first. Not when Paul first preaches. Not the next Sabbath when Paul preaches a second time, or the third Sabbath when Paul preaches a third time, but finally, after getting beaten up, Sosthenes, somewhere in there, believes and puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to faith in Him. They demonstrate the teaching of Jesus Christ. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? They need the gospel too. They need Christ. They need to believe and to be saved. It's like Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 My heart's desire and prayer for my people, the Israelites, is that they might be saved. Many rejected the message. But Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God remain constant. I want them to experience this. So much so, so that in Romans chapter 9, Paul writes and says, if it were possible, I would, I would trade in my salvation so that they could be saved. I'd go to hell forever if that could make them believe and be saved. But that's not how it works. His desire was for others to believe. Are there those you know Sure, they've heard the message. They've heard about Jesus Christ. They've heard about the God of the Bible. They've heard about the, maybe a uh, Bible account or two that they could tell you all about. And uh, they've heard it, but maybe they've not accepted it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on praying. Keep on witnessing. Keep on loving. Who knows? when the time might come when they say, oh, the lights come on and they believe and are saved. Sosthenes actively opposed the gospel and Paul, but he came to believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Verse 24, the fifth one. After Paul left Corinth, he went to uh, Ephesus along with Priscilla and Aquila. And then Paul left Ephesus, went on to some other travels. uh, But that's where it picks up in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately, accurately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, that's where Corinth is, The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arrival, on arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Here's our fifth man in Corinth, Apollos. Who was he? He was a Jew who had come to believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was born and raised in Egypt, in Alexandria, the coastal town, a major city even today, Alexandria, named after Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great wanted his his Greek culture to influence the whole world, so he started a library there in Alexandria to house all the wisdom and writings of the world, that they could be gathered there in Alexandria. And the Jews also were invited here. Bring your scriptures, translate them into Greek, and put them in our library. And so, uh, about 250 B.C., the Jews got together and worked on a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And uh, they contributed that to the uh, library in Alexandria. And their translation helped Jews throughout the world, whose first language probably was Greek from their growing up. He was born and raised in Egypt and the gospel was taken to those in Egypt by believers who had visited Jerusalem during Pentecost and had believed and returned. There's some records uh, that Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, the writer of the gospel of Mark, that he went to Egypt and preached the gospel That so that would have probably been later than when Apollos was there growing up. And Apollos went from Egypt to Ephesus to Corinth in Achaia. He was a great speaker. He was a great teacher. He reasoned from the Scripture. Apollos did great things for the Lord Jesus because he was educated and trained. You can do great things for Jesus no matter what your gift level, no matter what your skill ability is. For Apollos it meant he was going to do great things because he was well educated in the Scripture. As 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be completely equipped. So he knew that the Scripture was valuable. Know it. Understand it. Teach it. Apply it. Do it in your homes. Get your kids to Sunday school. Get them to worship that they might hear the Scripture of God. Yet for all his vast knowledge of Scripture, for having heard about Jesus, he died for our sins and rose from the dead, uh, Apollos was missing a little piece. and said he only knew about the baptism of John. John says, I baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sins. The one is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Instead of water, he would baptize with fire. And so they told him, hey... God, Jesus promised to not leave us alone, but to give us His Holy Spirit. And if you believe, His Holy Spirit with, is within you. Now, Apollos is already saved when he's visiting with Aquila and Priscilla. Apollos already has a saving knowledge and a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but he, he's already got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to be saved without having the Spirit of Christ in your life. But he hadn't put the pieces together so that he can tell and teach other people. And so they, they tell him about the Holy Spirit. And there's no record that when Apollos was in Ephesus, that April, uh, Priscilla Aquila somehow gave him a new, fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not what's recorded here, as if he had received a gift to speak in tongues or had visions and dreams or supernatural experiences. Because Apollos was one who knew that the Christian faith is, first of all, about the truth of the gospel. Truth of the gospel, not simply about what uh, personal experiences you might have. Your personal experience and faith and testimony is important, and I encourage you to share that with people. Paul was willing to share his Damascus Road experience, and it's recorded three times in the book of Acts because he's willing to share his Damascus Road experience, but his message is much greater. And the message of the gospel is much greater than our personal experiences. It's what God has done through Jesus Christ. I like what Jeremiah wrote about 600 B.C. in Jeremiah 23. He says, "Let Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream. You got some kind of personal experience? Tell your personal experience. Big deal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word, God's word, speak it faithfully. For what does straw have to do with grain? That's the difference between our personal experience and between the message of the gospel, straw versus grain. Is not my word like fire, like a hammer that break the rock in pieces? God's Word is powerful. Paul and Apollos understood that. It's not simply, it's good to have personal testimony and share that, but the Gospel is the main thing. The Scripture is the truth of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul taught. And that's what Apollos taught. He argued from the Scriptures to convince others that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. Apollos goes to Corinth and he's there and perhaps even functions as their pastor, or at least the main preacher among the people there, no doubt in different places. And he goes to Corinth, and after he's been there a while, uh, the sinful nature of the believers there comes sprouting out, and they have problems, and they have factions. As written about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1-3, chapter 3, they had factions. There were people saying, I belong to Apollos. No, I belong to Paul. No, I belong to Peter. Oh, I belong to Christ. They were splitting up in little cliques and say our group's better than your group. And we've got the truth and your truth is defective. And that was, I believe, absolutely no fault of Apollos or Paul whatsoever. And Paul writes to them and he says, hey, wait a minute, folks. This is what happened here. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gives the growth. It's all about God. And Paul goes on to say, hey, Paul was not crucified for you. Peter was not crucified for your sins. Apollos was not crucified. There was only one who was crucified for you. It's Jesus Christ. It's a dead end to think the church is about this teacher or that preacher. It's all about Jesus Christ. You may have your favorite preacher or teacher you like to listen to, and all oh, they're, they're just wonderful. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the scripture. The Lord Jesus carries for quite a long time. There'll be other teachers. There'll be other believers. There'll be other preachers. It'll go on on on. It doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel. What matters is Jesus Christ. That makes the difference. There's only... One God. There's only one Savior. It's all about Jesus. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. Five men from Corinth. Everybody's different. Each one is unique. Each one of these five men had their own story to tell, had their own background had their own time in their life when they came to faith in Jesus Christ, except for Galileo, as far as we know. They all have their own unique abilities and gifts. But they all needed to respond to the gospel. To hear and believe is a simple truth. God made us. He made us to love Him with all that we are. He made us to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we sin against God. We don't love God with all that we are. And we love ourselves a lot more than we love our neighbors. That's called sin in the Bible. And Jesus had to go to the cross and pay for our sins with His life so we might have forgiveness by His blood shed there. Until you come to the place of saying, yes, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And come to the place of saying, yes, God, I believe that Jesus paid the price for me and come to the place of saying, yes, Lord, I want you more than anything else in the world and what it has to offer. I've been focused on this. I've been focused on that. But I need to be focused on God for his kingdom is eternal and respond and ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to come into your heart through the Holy Spirit. How will you respond? What will you do next? As believers, we need to be those who constantly love others, constantly reach out to others, constantly pray for others to come to faith, because there's absolutely nothing more important in this world than being saved and going to heaven because of what Christ did for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again for this time together, for the truth of your word, the testimony from your scriptures of five men who had the opportunity to hear and believe, and four did, and one wouldn't even listen. Father, I just ask that you would have us with listening ears to respond to you, to please you in all that we do. for we'll pray in Christ's name. Amen.